Welcome to episode 174 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the Democrats' vaccine mandate. Before I get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as Let's Go Brandon, the January 6th incident at the Capitol, the supremacy of federal law, the supply chain disruptions, or ivermectin comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Unless you live under a rock with no access to the internet and do not watch television, you are fully aware of Resident Biden's employer vaccine mandate. You know, the one where Joe took to a podium in September of 2021 and just announced or decreed like a king that going forward, any employer with more than 100 employees would be fined, quite heavily I might add, if they do not implement and enforce a COVID-19 vaccine mandate on all of their employees by January 2022. This includes mask mandates and regular testing for all those liberty and freedom lovers who refuse the vax by invoking the left's most often cited maxim, my body, my choice. Lots of questions immediately come to mind, such as, why only employers with 100 or more employees? Where did that number come from? Why not 29 or 500? And, if this is a serious health crisis, why didn't you decree this earlier? Why are we waiting three months to implement it? And, Where does the authority to implement such a thing come from? Of course, the crucial takeaway from this incident is the observation that the tyrants, authoritarians, and totalitarians who currently hold power in this country at the federal level are drunk on power and implementing what can only be described as a Marxist or communist structured government. Think about some of the things we talk about here on a regular basis that point to that conclusion. Free speech limits, silencing dissent, big tech censorship, labeling dissent, disinformation, or misinformation, depending on the day, the dual justice system, one for well-connected Democrats and one for everyone else. Think about the persecution of all things Trump, from the treasonous Russia collusion hoax and impeachments to persecutions and prosecutions of his aides and allies. Look at the treatment of the January 6th trespassers, compared to Antifa and BLM types who rioted and looted major cities in the United States. Check out episode 172 for more about the January 6th incident. Or how about the fact that they're just printing money left and right, looting the treasury, causing inflation that hurts everyone, but the poor most of all. They are remaking the military. Obama got rid of hundreds of so-called Republicans in the upper echelons of various services. Now recruitment is completely woke. And now they are forcing us, under risk of losing our jobs, to take an experimental vaccine. This may as well be the USSR. What I'm going to do for the rest of this episode is put on the plaintiff's case against the commie Biden administration. 
against this obvious overreach mandate. Many years ago, I had planned to go to law school. That didn't work out, but as that famous commercial says, I may not be a doctor, but I play one on TV. Well, I may not be a lawyer, but I'm going to play one on my podcast. So here goes nothing. The only argument that matters in this case is the constitutional one. Everything else is noise, a distraction from the root cause, so to speak. The first witness I would call would be some mid-level official from the Department of Labor or OSHA. I would hand them a pocket constitution and ask them, where in those 73 pages does it delegate the power to the federal government to get involved in private businesses? Then I'd ask, where is the Department of Labor in those 73 pages? Is OSHA in there? Workplace safety? What about vaccines? Can you find that in there for me, please? The answer to all those questions, of course, is none of those things are in the Constitution. I would then call another Department of Labor or OSHA official and rinse and repeat until the judge told me to stop. I would then ask the defense, the government, to stipulate that the vaccine mandates at the federal level is unconstitutional. If they declined, I would politely ask the judge if I could call my next witness and keep the show going for as long as possible. Depending on how things went, I would eventually call a constitutional scholar to the stand and ask him, what powers are granted to the federal government by the Constitution, known as the enumerated powers? Well, the scholar would likely read Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which grants Congress the powers to, one, pay the debts of the United States, two, declare war and make rules of warfare to raise and support armies and the Navy, and to make rules governing the military forces. Three, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the states. Four, to establish uniform rules of naturalization. Five, to establish uniform laws of bankruptcy. Six, to coin money and regulate the value thereof. Seven, to fix the standard of weights and measures. Eight, to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting. Nine, to establish post offices and post roads. Ten, to issue patents and copyrights. 11. To create courts inferior to the Supreme Court. And finally, 12. To define and punish piracy and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the laws of nations. I would then ask the scholar, well, what about all the other stuff that we see the federal government involved in? Stuff like the Department of Education, the EPA, CDC, FDA, NIH, Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Federal Reserve, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Commerce Department, stuff like that. His response would likely be, well, none of those agencies or departments are enumerated in the Constitution. By definition, they are unconstitutional. I would then say something like, well, some of those things seem very important. Isn't there a role for government to be involved in such things? I mean, education, health, transportation? The scholar would answer, of course. One could argue that government should be involved in some or all of those things, just not the federal government. Local governments, yes. City governments, yes. State governments, sure. Federal, absolutely not. I would then ask him how he can make such a claim. He would respond by reading the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. My follow-up question would be, given what you know, which federal agencies and departments would you say are constitutional? 
He would say, well, you likely know that the federal government was once comprised of a handful of departments, including departments of state, war, and treasury. Today, it's comprised of over 400 departments and agencies. He would continue, but to answer your question, I imagine that the Department of Defense, the Post Office, the State Department, the Treasury Department, the Patent and Trademark Office, probably the IRS, the federal court system, the Attorney General's Office, some pieces of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and the Justice Department. I would say those are the only pure-blooded constitutional agencies or departments in the federal government. My follow-up question to that would be the same that I posed to the previous witnesses. Can you point to the article and clause in the Constitution that delegates the power to the federal government to get involved in private business? Can you find the Department of Labor, OSHA, workplace safety, vaccines? His likely response would be something like, unless it involves interstate commerce, business is off limits to the federal government from a constitutional perspective. The Department of Labor, OSHA, and vaccines are not in the federal government's wheelhouse. Period. End of story. In my imaginary courtroom drama, I would then say, Your Honor, the plaintiff rests his case. Or whatever you say at the end of your case. Now, that is some fantasy, huh? In reality, what the plaintiffs or respondents are arguing, besides making cursory comments about the constitutionality of it, they are going at it from a slightly different angle. More legalese, but nonetheless important. Let's briefly tackle some of those arguments here so you have a better sense of what's going on. So essentially what happened was, after King Biden issued his proclamation from on high, an emergency temporary standard addressing occupational exposure to COVID-19 was issued by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, which is part of the Department of Labor. This was published in the Federal Registry on November 5th, 2021. What Biden and his fellow totalitarians are attempting to do is impose a nationwide vaccination mandate without approval from Congress. They have couched the mandate as an emergency workplace rule, the ETS. This is where the arguments start. Number one, why didn't the democratically controlled Congress pass a law regarding vaccine mandates if it's such a wonderful idea? That would at least give it the appearance of being legal. But no, that didn't happen because it is highly, highly unpopular. And most members of Congress who voted for it wouldn't lose their job in the next election. Instead, it's much easier to extort, bully, and threaten employers with huge fines and make thinly veiled threats to those who do business with the feds or are highly regulated by them. Kind of like the mob does. But instead of threats like, it sure would be a shame if someone came in here with a baseball bat and broke your legs if you don't pay up. Instead of that, you get shit like, it sure would be a shame if that $2 billion contract for filling the blank product or service would go away. Or, it sure would be a shame if we increased the number of auditors and regulators that focused on your company. You get the picture. So there's that. Then there's this argument. The vaccine mandate exceeds OSHA's authority under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. In other words, Congress did not grant OSHA such sweeping powers in their authorizing statute. First of all, this mandate is not related to the workplace, which is supposedly OSHA's domain. Workplace-related hazards? Not any hazard one might encounter anywhere in the world. I'm going to read from one of the injunctions about this. It reads, 
All OSHA standards apply to workplaces where the harm that the standard seeks to mitigate is more likely to occur at the workplace than in any other places, such as private homes, retailers, and other public places. OSHA standards are historically focused on dangers at work because of the work. Allowing OSHA to implement standards based on dangers in society generally, rather than work-specific dangers, would be a huge shift in the law, giving OSHA far more power than Congress intended. COVID-19 is a danger to society generally. It is likely to spread anywhere people come together, not just the workplace. This regulation is not targeted at dangers specific to the workplace. Another argument made is, in order to meet the threshold to issue an ETS, the statute requires that, quote, employees be exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or from new hazards, end quote, which is not the case here. The legal brief also points out that back in June, OSHA declined to implement an ETS specifically for healthcare workers. If healthcare workers in the workplace were not in grave danger in June, according to OSHA, how in the hell could everyone working, only for companies with more than 100 employees, how could all of those people now be in grave danger? Furthermore, the filing points out that two-thirds of the population are already vaccinated, and with President Biden himself during his monarchical proclamation in September stating, quote, the science makes clear that if you're fully vaccinated, you're highly protected from severe illness, even if you get COVID-19, end quote. Where the hell is the grave danger then? The filing goes on. Not every workplace is equally impacted since COVID impacts the elderly and those with comorbidities more than young and healthy people. So a one-size-fits-all mandate is stupid. Then they make the argument that this remedy is anti-science and won't even accomplish the supposed goal of stopping the spread since the vaccinated still transmit the disease to others. It points out the absurdity of requiring only unvaxxed to wear masks. The vaccinated carry the same viral load as the unvaxxed. The vaccinated spread the virus to others just as much as the unvaxxed. And they get sick, are hospitalized, and die from complications due to the virus, just like the unvaxxed. If it was about stopping the spread and protecting public health, the testing standards would apply to everyone, not just the unvaxxed. This is simply stupid. It boggles the mind. The vaccinated who can carry, spread, and get sick are not required to get tested or be masked, so they are free to roam the workplace unmasked and COVID-positive, spreading the virus, while the known COVID-negative, unvaxxed people are walking around masks. That's the very definition of idiocy. Ron Paul put it this way, quote, If the vaccine provided a high level of immunity from the virus that did not wane over time, Encouraging people to take the shot, which uses experimental technology, might make some sense, though mandating it would still be immoral and illegal. Here's another thought on the anti-science front that I would love to ask my pretend witness on the stand from OSHA. Why isn't there an exemption for those who have natural immunity, those who have recovered from COVID? It has been demonstrated that natural immunity offers stronger protection against COVID than the vaccine. I'd love to hear the answer to that. Next is the argument that COVID-19 is not a toxic substance or agent, which is another required standard or threshold in the OSHA statute producing an ETS. 
Another part of the filing explains that this is not a response to an emergency. See, OSHA claims to have emergency powers. How is a two-year-old virus an emergency? I would ask my pretend witness to explain how this is an emergency with two-thirds of Americans already vaccinated. I would love to ask the witness, if you are really concerned about safety and stopping the spread of the virus, why companies with 100-plus employees? Where did that number come from? Why not everyone? Then I would ask the witness to explain why there aren't any exceptions, medical or religious. I would ask him why the United States Postal Service is exempted from the mandate, why welfare recipients are not required to have proof of vaccination in order to receive their benefits. I would ask him why illegal immigrants entering the country at the southern border are exempt from the vaccine, but not Canadian truck drivers come January of next year. I would ask the witness to explain why the vaccine is even necessary at all, since there are a number of therapeutics that treat COVID from ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, monoclonal antibody treatments, and vitamin regimens like vitamin C, D, and zinc. And now, Big Pharma is producing their own therapeutics, i.e. Pfizer-mectin. Here's my final thought on this. There is a constitutional protection known as the Anti-Commandeering Doctrine, which prohibits the states from being forced into enforcing federal law. In other words, if the feds pass a law, then they have to enforce it. The states are not subjects of the federal government. They are sovereign in and of themselves. So I wonder how that works with private employers. Can they be forced to enforce federal rules and regulations? I don't think so. But this is something I would need help from a real lawyer. I hope this gives you a better idea of what is going on with the Democrats' vaccine mandate. I realize there might be some confusion as to why I'm not calling it Biden's vaccine mandate. And actually, that was the original title of this episode. The reason is... I haven't heard a single prominent Democrat speak out in opposition to these mandates. Therefore, they endorse it. They own it. Thus, the truth about the Democrats' vaccine mandate. The takeaway is, number one, most importantly, the only thing I want you to remember is the mandate is unconstitutional. The Department of Labor is unconstitutional. OSHA is unconstitutional. Most of what the federal government does is unconstitutional because there's nothing in the 73 pages of my pocket constitution that mentions any of that. Besides that clear and obvious point, OSHA's vaccine mandate is not workplace specific. It is not an emergency. There is no grave danger. There is no toxic substance. All things required in order to issue an emergency temporary standard. Additionally, the mandate is anti-science. It strikes down personal freedom and liberty, it won't stop the spread, and it ignores therapeutics that treat COVID. And that's the truth about the Democrats' vaccine mandate. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.